Hello and welcome to the WTM Insights Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Francesca Nand. Johan Lundgren took over as CEO of EasyJet in December 2017, and since joining, the airline has set out a significant increase in investment in EasyJet holidays, showcased a series of initiatives to increase business passengers, and revealed plans to introduce a new loyalty program. In an exclusive one-to-one conversation led by industry expert John Strickland at WTM London, the new EasyJet boss talks about his plans for one of Europe's leading low-cost airlines. Travel Market 2018 to the airline program. I'm delighted to see we've got a full 100% load factor theatre today, which is very much of a style of the airline we're about to talk about. Now, we had the, the previous CEO of this airline here, believe it or not, I think it was five years ago when she was just taking the helm, but she's moved on to Pastures New. And so I'm delighted to welcome to the stage the relative new boy on the block, today's CEO of EasyJet, Johan Lundgren. Now, Johan, I, I called you a new, new boy on the block for EasyJet, but uh, first of all, I guess you're not a new, a new boy on the block to the WTM. You must have been here many times in the many past. Many times, yeah, absolutely many times, that's true. In your time at TUI. In my time at TUI, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, new boy on the block for EasyJet, but a long industry experience yourself, and you've now been in the helm, what, almost one year? It's coming up to one year now, so yeah. I started 1st of uh, December last year. Okay. Yeah. So just as we approach that anniversary, what is your impression at this one-year point of the company you are now custodian of? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, EasyJet is very much what you think of it from the outside is very much also what the company is on the inside. And I I really joined EasyJet because I I had the opportunity and I was asked the question that if you would like to do some work for a company, uh, what company would that be? And I said EasyJet. And, and the person who, who was a headhunter at that point in time, it was not the person who was then doing the recruitment, but I said, you know, it is a company that I think have changed the way people travel. You know, before EasyJet and I must say also others within a, uh, within a uh, similar model, airlines used to be, you know, quite expensive and there was limited offering. And I think that, you know, companies such as ourselves and primarily ourselves also were able to change that travel pattern and also engaging with customers in a very different way. So uh, I was very fortunate that I was then able to take on this job. And and had you actually yourself seen EasyJet from the beginning? I don't know if you were living in the UK at that point uh, when EasyJet began. Yeah, I I think it was a company and they still have all those key ingredients of being, you know, very innovative, Mm -hmm. extremely customer orientated, uh, fast moving, um, and there's that an entrepreneurial streak about it. If, if you're you know, working at EasyJet, usually if something ends up at your table, you, you take it on, it's yours. You're not thinking about who else should solve your, your problem. And that comes through very much about uh, the company also being on the inside. But it's, it's so much bigger now. I think it started with was it a couple of aircraft and they weren't even EasyJet's yeah. aircraft. They were leased in. And uh, I remember the advertising was... Uh, as cheap as a pair of jeans, or some 29 pounds. Yeah. And now you're one of the giants of Europe. I mean, what, the sec- second biggest? Yeah, we're the second biggest airline in, in Europe right now. And you're right, I mean, the time has moved on. We have over, you know, 300 aircraft now. So, so it's, it's um, you know, it's a big scale operation. But 
you know, it's a, it's, a rel it's a simple model, it's easy to understand, and I think it's that combination that makes it attractive. That on one hand, a transparent, easy to understand model, but then also scale that, that gives us all the opportunities that come with also size. And when, when you were looking at the company, where, when that headhunter got in touch with you, did you have uh, any kind of doubts or from what you said? You, you knew this company well, and you saw this immediately as an opportunity, which given the opportunity yourself, you would like to yeah. take. No, I mean, there was no, no, no doubts or anything. Uh, and the thing about EasyJet, this is not, you know, this is not, to, to state the obvious, uh, there's nothing in here that's broken, there's nothing needs to be, you know, to be fixed. And, and um, what I said quite early on when we did our first major um, announcement in the six months results in May, that this is really about building on the strengths that the company has, the primary positions, number one and two positions at the leading airport, and also together with fantastic people who performed, I think, an outstanding service for the customer is really something that we can continue to build on. And also, when you, when you say that, that we have, you know, we're the second largest airline in, 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 uh, in Europe, it's important to know that we still only have 10% of the market. Mm -hmm. Which is important because that describes also, you know, the industry as such, you know, and the fragmentation of the industry. That there are a few other industries you will see that the second player in there only carries a 10% market share. So there's a lot of things to go for still. Now, in terms of, you know, you you came in the door, uh, the company, and I've I've been to you know EasyJet's offices, Hangar 89, this open plan. For me, uh, maybe I'm being stereotypical as a Brit. I see you're a Swede. I see you Swedes as again open, easygoing sort of guys. What was your feeling when you came in in terms of uh, the team that was there? It, it was a team that was actually already in transition. Quite a lot of people were moving around in terms of a management team. Yeah, I, I got to tell you this story. I thought it was uh, quite funny. So when I was uh, part of the interviews and when I met the chairman or, or some of the other people at, at the board, the non-execs, and I can't remember who it was, but they, um, there was a question about, so, you know, uh, you, you know that the head office, it's, um, you know, it's in the hangar and, you know, and you should go and see the hangar at some point in time. And I actually thought of it that there was a nickname for an office building, but it right. turned out that it actually was, it a, actually hangar. was a hangar. So that's where, where the, clearly the, the head office is. But you know what, it, it's, a, it's an atmosphere it, that, that uh, I think it's also in many cases gives you that, you know, the feeling of, of what EasyJet is about, the closeness to the customer, um, the energy and the entrepreneurialism. And I think also from a, from a team point of view, there are some absolutely outstanding individuals in the organization. And I've said that on, on other occasions, some of the best individuals that I come across in my 30 years in the travel business and uh, 20 years as MD, you know, CEO for different companies, always with airline at, at um, you know, being one part of responsibilities. And that's something to build upon. But like in all companies that, you know, they're the, you know, the management team has also evolved under myself. So uh, I made uh, four external uh, appointments, two internal promotions also to the team. So I'm, I'm super excited about the team that I now have in place. I mean, that, that was in a way was, uh, my, my thought, that the team has changed. Uh, there were some people who were quite new just before you arrived, others, as you said, you've appointed. So in a way, I guess that's got to be the best position for when you come new to a company, you're not having to break down, I don't know, silos or ways of thinking or in, Interdepartmental rivals, you're starting afresh 
which is pretty yeah. Much and also, I mean, just to reiterate once again that EasyJet is a is a is a you know fantastic company in itself, and it has evolved over a number of years. So you know what you do, and I'm sure you know people will recognize that as leaders in their own right. You you want to make sure that you get the team for you. The, you want to make sure that you're getting team with the capabilities and the competences where you think that you want to accelerate you know the company as you go forward. But also, this is not only about the you know the, the executive team. The, this uh, a company is much more than that. Yeah. You know, uh, fantastic individuals and teams also in in the whole of the organization. I mean, that, that's a, another key factor, isn't it? The, the motivation of staff, and you score very highly in terms of customer satisfaction for the warmth. And it's something I, I often wonder about. You look at an airline like BA, which has been through a lot of changes, which uh, I think it's had to make in recent years in order to compete, particularly in the short-haul space. And there seem to be challenges there in uh, them making changes, uh, whether it's pay, terms and conditions. But EasyJet has always been a low-cost airline and seems to score again and again in this, uh, this staff motivation and customer satisfaction. How do you do it? Because it's not about necessarily the highest pay, but it's not the highest pay for frontline staff. It's about staff doing a fantastic job. I think it comes back to the fact that EasyJet you know, was set up in its current model, you know, when, when it started 23, 24 years yeah. ago, that was really focusing tremendously on the value. You know, making sure that there was no waste in the organization with the fundamental belief that, that you know, customers are not willing to pay for any company's inefficiencies and uh, customers are not willing to pay for any waste that sits in an organization from any point of view. And that is something that sits at really at, at the core of, of what we've been doing. So it has a you know, kind of continued in that spirit and not being needed to change. And, and like I said, what we do is working. We just need to do even more of that and, and focusing on, on specific things in there. So it, it's difficult and a different, you know, proposition to a company who's been around for, what, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you know, you know in any industry. We haven't, you know, needed to go through that that transition. Now, in terms of the actual, the bottom line, the financial results. I mean, we're not here to talk about those you can't because of stock market regulations. But your year-end results have already indicated to the market they're going to be at the high end of expectations. So you've had a, a good year. Can you tell us in general terms how how the year has been? Well, like like we said before in our previous updates as well, it's been a year that was, uh, in some ways, also reflected the changes in competitive landscape. We had the demise of uh, Monarch. We had some of the difficulties that our airlines run through in terms of Air Berlin, where we also participated in the, in the part of taking uh, that operation into to our own, which has been really, a, I would say, a, a fantastic achievement by the team and the organization. That is uh, the size of now 25 aircraft that we have in, in Tegel. Mm -hmm. And together with the 12 aircraft now we have in Schoenefeld, it's, it's the size of the whole of the Monarch. And then I also have the, you know, Alitalia and the problems that they occurred. So, you know, the year has very much been about, you know, that competitive landscape also changing. And then also the ongoing um, questions and discussions about Brexit as well. So that has also, you know, influenced the, the industry. I think that we were very early on in setting ourselves up to be mm -hmm. prepared for all the consequences of, of Brexit. But that has certainly also been uh, something that's been uh, characteristic of the year gone by. Just coming back on what you said about market capacity, the, the move in Berlin, I mean, that's really transformed EasyJet's position in Germany, hasn't it? Because it was not really, perhaps surprisingly, it was not really a big market for EasyJet before. You'd had a base in Hamburg, but closed it. You were not really present in a large way in other cities prior to this Air Berlin uh, acquisition. 
Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a game changer. I mean, we, we always said that the four core markets, that's where we want to put our focus on. And that's been um, um, UK, France, Germany, and, and Italy. Um, and we are also, uh, you know, very minded about that we, on the one hand, as we want to continue to grow as well, we, we are following, you know, some key principles around that. We want to make sure that in any position we take that we get a strong position, number one and number two position, because our model really works at best then. If we can get frequencies in here, we get a presence in the marketplace and we come on to this positive uh, circle, which we want to get into. Um, and uh, if you take a look at now the 29 bases where we operate, and we have number one and number two positions okay. in 24 of those. But Berlin is specifically, yeah, and I mean, you've indicated, uh, you, you know, it's cost you some money, you know, there's been some red ink, but equally, as you pointed out, you've done this pretty quickly. Lufthansa had some of their financial results out last week, and they were actually blaming, you know, their Air Berlin acquisition on damaging uh, Eurowings results, but it, it looked more challenging to them. Can you just explain uh, what it means to move so quickly? because it may not I mean be evident a, uh, how complex it actually is. It's interesting you bring that up. It's an extraordinary feat of mm -hmm. the organization to do this. I mean, if you look back, you would have seen that we, we signed the deal and got clearance on this one in December last year. We put it on sale the same month and our first departure right. was in beginning of January. And in that process to go from the, you know, the wet lease, big wet lease operation, you know, going into the, to the own aircraft operation, and I must say the organization hasn't missed a beat on it. EasyJet performs exceptionally well op operationally, but it has taken a lot of uh, resources and energy from ourselves to, to, to do right. Because we wanted to make sure that we operationally landed this right. We want to make sure that we did a good impressions for the, for the local market there, because it is a big and it's a huge market. And, uh, and the organization, and we, we really succeeded with that, I think. And do you have a view? I mean, obviously, you had Red Ink short term, but you see an opportunity long term. But Berlin, as a market, is quite constrained airport capacity wise. You're in the two airports, but you know, there's this debate within the local political arena. Do they close Tegel? There's the ongoing saga, again, perhaps surprisingly for Germany, that Brandenburg is not yet open several years after it should have been. Do you have a view about whether they should keep both airports open? Because it seems if they don't, capacity is going to be very tight. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. We just know that in, uh, when it, when it opens, <laughs> it will open, uh, Brandenburg, we will make sure that we still have you know, the opportunity to have a strong position. It's the you know, largest city in, in Germany, and it's a great market for us. And what we have the opportunity to do also is clearly to have sales both inbound and outbound, mm -hmm. which is something that Air Berlin was struggling with before. Right. Um, and we're also doing a lot of things to optimize also the schedule for, for the coming year because that was also based a lot about supporting the long haul that Air Berlin has as well. So regardless on the, the date of the airport opening there, we, we will be in a good and strong position there. Now, you mentioned Alitalia as well. Now, that's been a, you know, maybe a saga that's been going on for many decades. You know, the airline has been in many death throes before and just when you think it is going to disappear, it doesn't. I think you indicated last week in broad terms that you, you put in, I think, an expression of interest about some part of Alitalia. Do you see uh, optimism about that reaching a, a positive conclusion for you? I know there are limits on what you can well, tell us. Well, we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, uh, like I said, if, if we're going to go about and do something from an M&A point of view, it needs to make sh sense for us strategically. 
and it would be of you know no secret to anyone that we are focusing on short haul. That's what we want to do. We are focusing on primary you know airports. That's what we want to do. But it also needs to make sense commercially. We need to be able to stand up for our shareholders and, and say that this is a good deal. And we also need to be able to operationally be able to, mm-hmm. to deal with it. So those three things need to happen. And if it works out, then, then we're interested. But you know what? If it doesn't work out, we, we feel very confident about our ability to continue to be successful in that market. Yeah, because it's a big market anyway, isn't it? I think yeah. Milan is one of your biggest bases, yeah. I think. Just looking more broadly, Johanna, some of it, you're going to give the results to the market in a couple of weeks, strong results, but you've acknowledged, and every airline I, I talk to is saying this more and more, the challenges of this particular year with strikes, I mean, particularly air traffic control strikes uh, or uh, air traffic control lack of manpower, not only the, the direct fact that means a lot of delayed and cancelled flights, but that then links into paying out compensation in this EU 261, this consumer protection regulation. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, Maybe this is going to set you off on a, a rant. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> this is highly frustrating yeah. because uh, the, you're right. I mean, the majority of the disruption that we have are initiated by actions that sits outside our control. But because we are compensating and refunding our customers for 100% of it when it's eligible, of course the customer thinks it's our fault. And this is really something that uh, I'm quite upset about because a lot of these things is basically lack of, as you said, lack of staffing, lack of development of standardized equipment when it comes to air traffic control management system. There is protectionism that exists in certain places. And then, of course, you also have then the, the strikes. And we are not disputing at all people's right to strikes. But, you know, in terms of, for instance, uh, protecting overflying in France, give uh, sufficient notification on strikes, which means that, you know, the system can cope and mitigate some of the consequences. That is what we're asking for. And we are paying for this service that we are basically not being delivered mm-hmm. because that's what we're paying to you, Eurocontrol, and then they are, are, are um, you know, engaging them with the local ATCs and ATMs. And it's simply not good enough. And also the talk about the single European skies, which has been going on about, feels like forever. Decades. Decades. You know, that is one of the solutions to make this work. But having said that, you know, this is important for us to point out and this is uh, a discussion that I'm having with politicians and you know both in the member states in Brussels and also in the UK that's one side of the coin the other one is to say that well we need to then do whatever we can to mitigate the consequences Mm -hmm. on that and also in all fairness it's not only you know others that are at blame for this we also have issues that we need to do internally to make sure that we we improve this Um, but it's um, it's, it's extraordinary when you're looking at some of the numbers around this. I saw some statistics now from Eurocontrol that said that in the whole of last year, the recorded delays in minutes for the whole of the calendar year 2017 was 9.3 million minutes. That number from 1st of January to 30th of September is now up to 16.9 million. It's amazing. So it is, it is amazing in here. And this is not really about what model you operate on as no. an uh, aviation. It's not about the airports you're operating from because it sits within the, within the airspace. So we need to put focus on this and there needs to imp- be an improvement because I do think that the industry is losing attraction mm-hmm. uh, because some of these uh, issues. So we are working massively around this and the investments in data and technology is 
one way and one of the best mm. ways to actually mitigate some of these consequences. But is the industry being heard? Because, I, I mean, you know, you and I have had our careers in this industry, and it's always seemed to me it's been very fragmented in getting its voice heard. Now, you're part of this airline group uh, A4E, and there are other groups, European regions, airlines. It seems to me everybody's suffering, and it seems, again, quite bizarre that there is not the same level of, uh, I don't know, feather bedding or consumer protection offered for railways, for ferries, whatever, and yet maybe some airlines have actually died because of this. A smaller one yes. recently, it's really yes. taken them over the edge, this payment. Yes. So is there, is there possibly the legislation failing? Are politicians understanding this could be damaging more than helpful to consumers no, if I, it's not changed? I agree, but I attended also a European Aviation Summit where I met with the, with the Commissioner, mm -hmm. Violeta Bulch, and also Henrik uh, Hollerley, the GD of, of Transport for the Commission. And now, basically, everyone agrees that there needs to be something done. Yeah. And I would want to hand more responsibility and mandate to Eurocontrol to coordinate this effort together with the uh, European Commission. And then we will definitely do our part. But we can only do so much. This issue sits at local governmental mm -hmm. levels that needs to be coordinated, I think, from, from somebody. And I think Eurocontrol should be the one who drives the change on this. And do you think they accept that? I think that everybody talks about that and yeah. agrees with that on a stage, on a conference, but then you've got to go out and execute yeah. it as well, and that's when you're running into all sorts of discussions around it. But yeah. also from an environmental point of view, from a sustainability point of view, uh, never mind the fact that I think that the delays would be almost be eradicated if you actually sorted out the European airspace from what we see today. But to fly around, you know, five percent longer than you need to do on any flight up there is just it's just nonsense mm -hmm. now again uh, i don't want to just uh, discuss with you a list of problems and challenges we've got a few more just to touch on and i'm going to bring some uh, give you a chance to talk about some let of the me guess some, some of them some of the brighter stuff yeah but uh, brexit you already mentioned yeah there you go. Uh, i mean we don't really want to talk about it any longer than we have to but it's it's still this quite bizarre, unknown situation, yet does anybody in the airline business really believe come March the 29th, suddenly the skies are going to be quiet, like when we had the volcanic uh, ash challenge, or are we going to find a, a, an easy way around it, are we going to cobble together some temporary solution? I mean, you, you as you said, in EasyJet, have already been very proactive to do what you can, not to be uh, you know, victims of this, but to, to actually manage it. This process started of, of preparing ourselves for Brexit before I, I joined mm -hmm. in there, but we set up an AOC in, in Austria as an example, so we're going to be able to, with basic connectivity, to fly without any disruption. I don't think there will be any disruption. I'm confident that there will be a deal on aviation. And, and the reason is, is very simple, that you know, if you speak to politicians you know, at the member states, you take Spain as an example, which are you know, very much you know, living on, on, tourism. on tourism going around there, it would be you know, inconceivable that, that there would be disruption of this because the cost of this would just be extraordinary yeah. from everybody's point of view. So, and also the European Commission have said that even in the case of no deals, that bare bones agreements will kick in, which will allow basic connectivity. It remains to be seen also what is in the detail of that mm. bare bones agreement, you know, in, in, in the specifics of it. But uh, we're assuming basic connectivity in there. But of course, we, we, as many others, would want to see that the aviation market will be, you know, with the characteristics of being as liberal as possible to allow connectivity. And, and nobody disagrees on this. Here's the thing, nobody disagrees on this. Whether you, whatever politicians you are, whatever side you mm -hmm. are, Brexit remainer, uh, whatever part of the channel you are, 
Nobody disagrees on this. Well, I don't think there are any winners. I can't see any no. malevolent force that thinks I can gain something out of this if I can restrict this because yeah. we've moved so far. We've got the open market, uh, open skies in Europe. EasyJet and Ryanair, probably the biggest users, are flying in second and third countries to your, to your home market. Consumers have had a taste of this. The yes. Consumers aren't going to accept to no. go backward. No. And if, if, you're a, if you're a politician, then you have a constituency or you have responsibility for people ultimately that you're being held responsible for, I mean, they, they wouldn't be forgiven. But ownership for some airlines could be a challenge. It seems that you know, you've done your best to be covered having a, your new license in Austria. You've got a UK license. I think you still have a Swiss license, I think, yep. from many years ago. Ryanair, IAG, maybe they've got perhaps more complex issues to address in terms of shareholder structures. They could be EU companies now and come March 29, find they're not EU companies. But I guess they've got to find ways around that. Yeah, no, I mean, we will make sure that we are uh, always we'll be complying in whatever ownership rules or regulations there is. And we, 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 that's what we set up as well in the last AGM that we had. You mentioned uh, in the context of punctuality challenges. I mean, every airline wants to run a punctual service. But one of the things I find most interesting since you arrived uh, is you, you mentioned the word data. You're, you're focusing far more on data in the business. Now, everybody today talks about big data and they talk about doing things for customers. But from what I've been reading about e in EasyJet, you're talking about this as being pervasive across the business. Yeah. It's not only customer facing. In fact, I met your chief data officer on Friday, Luca. Right. I chatted to him, amazing guy. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that, because it seems an amazing story. What does data mean across yes. the business, customer yeah. or otherwise? So, so, you know, when I joined in, in December, you know, I started off by meeting a lot of people in the organization. And one of the things that really stood out was the amount of data points that existed in this company. I mean, it's literally billions of data points. And then on top of that, you also have the unconstrained data that sits out there, you know, that is competitive information that is actually available. But what I wanted to do and what we, we very quickly agreed upon with the team, we need to find a way where we actually put this into the context and realize what asset this really is. And data, and it sounds, I mean, it sounds, doesn't sound exciting. You know, we talked about becoming, you know, and being the most airline, the data, most uh, data-driven airline in the world. The competition isn't that great, to be quite honest. But this is really about something where you can make the customer experience a lot better. Reducing cost, which means that you're reducing also waste, you're becoming more efficient in what you do. Also looking at ways where you can be smarter about your revenue program and the, and the way you're, you're um, uh, yielding today, and also the way you engage with customers. I think the industry in general is still pretty poor on the individual relationships with the customers that we have. EasyJet, we have you know, close 90 million customers on an annual basis, and we need to make sure that we have a meaningful relationship with 90 million individuals, knowing the history, knowing the buying patterns, and also foreseeing and predicting the demands before they actually happen, mm -hmm. and be able to engage with him or her, our customers, in the way on their terms, because we can do that within the framework of data privacy and, and, and so on. You know, today, I think the industry works still too much in the old clusters about you know, social demographic segments, and you know, here's this person, he or she does like that. And the problem with all of these things, you're getting onto an average, and you're mm -hmm. forming a product and service around something that is an average. And I've said it to 
before here that I still yet haven't met an average person in my mm. entire life. Yeah. You know, there are always uh, characteristics and, and unique things about the individual's uh, uh, patterns and behavior. And that's what we need to know and that's what we need to be able to fulfill. And you can only do that through automated learning and the way you actually use data. You know, the way we, for instance, in the case of disruption, the way we can now, with algorithms that our data scientists are producing, we can simulate also, you know, different scheduling throughout the day. So when our planes has left the first wave departure, 300 planes goes off, we can see after the first wave, what are the pinch points going to be? Where are the congestion points going to be within the European aviation? Because we're also collecting competitor data, right. because that's available. You, anyone can go on flight radar, as an example, to see how this pans out. And when you can take the development and the learnings from what happens in similar situations, you know, yesterday, the day before, the week before, the month before, the year ago before, with certain parameters, the algorithms will basically come up and allow you to say, well, with this in mind, you should start changing and moving things around at the end of the day to minimize the disruption for the customer. And then you can also engage with the customers much earlier on. We, we've seen that the changes we've done about informing customers has made a huge difference to the customer satisfaction. If we like most airlines do today. If we send customers out there to the airport because you're taking a theoretical chance that the plane might go on time, even if you know that the plane will stand very little chance to even get to the departure point, you know, the customer can look at the flight rate and say, well, actually, the plane hasn't even got into the airport. Yeah, why should I show up? Why should I show up? When we are contacting customers early on, or even the day before, you know, it's more like, Thank you for letting me know. Now at least I can rebook, I can replan it, and, and, um, and those things really matter. Um, so, so there's a lot of things you can do with data and the technology. Mm -hmm. And then you can make sure that you also put this in, the, in a systematic way in an organization. Because you know, as boring as this sounds, I think it's a, this is an absolute key enabler to, to really progress some of the opportunities that is out there to create even deeper and more meaningful relationship with your customers. I mean, that, that disruption uh, aspect that you talk about, yeah, and I think everybody, they want certainty and clarity because yeah. you know, the worst thing, I think, for all of us these days is going to the airport and the unpredictability. Yeah. How long will it take to get through? Will yeah. the flight be delayed? Will I have to do this, that, or the other? Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, no control. So if you can give that back, that's going to be positive. Yeah. But also, and, and here's another example. I mean, that's, that's really... That, that's big and that makes sense from you know, disruption, which I think mm -hmm. is the industry's biggest operational uh, yeah. task going forward. But even in the smaller things, you know, when we, when we sell products on board in the trolley, you know, I think like most airlines, we don't differentiate you know, very much the offer. So it's the same you know, products that we offer on sale on board a flight, whether that is you know, in the Friday evening or whether that is Monday morning. Of course, there are different demands on this. Mm -hmm. And we, we set out, you know, as an example, earlier in the spring, uh, asked to do some algorithms about how we can cut down on fresh food items that were wasted. Mm -hmm. Because you would see that you know, this is not optimized. And by doing basically a couple of days of algorithm, looking at trends from certain airports, we could cut that down with you know, 25% of those fresh food items that were wasted. That's 800,000 
less wasted sandwiches a year. And that's just a, a small example on how you can make a tremendous difference, which is good for, for the environment, and it also reduces you know, uh, the cost and the waste mm -hmm. for us. I, I read a very interesting article, you might have seen it in one of the industry magazines the other day, about data, and it gave this example of sandwiches. It said, it may be that your data shows uh, a certain kind of sandwich that you're offering is not selling very well, and you interpret the data as meaning, well, I won't stock that sandwich anymore. When in fact, it may simply be your sandwich is so disgusting, nobody wants to buy it. If you offered a good sandwich, and you're talking about the risk of misinterpreting yeah. data. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess that's what you're gonna have to manage. And yeah. Is that sophistication there? I mean, to me, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just, but can that be done, this level of sophistication, it, to it, truly it, yes. determine it, these things accurately? Yes, it can absolutely be done. I don't think that anybody's there at the moment, uh, and I'm not so sure that the aviation industry is the benchmark on, on, on this. Uh, but you know, there are so many more things within this area that, that you could look to do. The way we, you know, if you take, uh, you, you mentioned it here, the, if the sandwich isn't good enough, we've seen, for instance, that when we have upgraded, you know, some of the products we've seen there to fever tree, as an example, the, right. the tonic water, we increased the sale. I shouldn't mention what the, what the number <laughs> was here, but you know, we increased it tremendously. So people are also looking to buy things in a different way. Yeah. You know, so sandwich doesn't necessarily just to be a sandwich. If it's something that actually is, provides something that is a value, our customers will want to have that and also would be mm -hmm. willing to pay for it. Back on the, the, the hard kit, you know, the, the aircraft and fleet, you, you said you've got over 300 aircraft. Tell us a bit about future investment there because you, you are growing, uh, you're an Airbus customer and you're typically upsizing as well from the 320, even the 319, more to the 321. Is that going to be the typical trend going forward? Yes, so the company, you know, we, we, we have a fantastic relationship with, uh, with Airbus, it's a strong relationship. We're one of the largest customers that they have within the A320 family. And you're right, the ability to upgauge from the 319 to the 320 and now to the 321 is uh, fantastic for us to do because we basically have an opportunity to grow within the existing slots and within the existing networks. And you're mentioning it also that there is slot constraints on a number of airports and that is a huge opportunity for us and the deal we have with Airbus is fantastic not only from a price point of view but also the flexibility it gives us to be able to adapt to various scenarios and that's something that is a huge asset to this company. I mean that, that to me seems like quite a unique deal I know you publish this in your uh, periodic investor reports where you have these incredible options to grow to level X or you can go down below today's level with a fair degree of flexibility, and that's something I guess many airlines would love yes. to have. Yeah, it, it's a great opportunity yeah. because you can adapt to, to the demand out there, and, and then you can also have the ability to basically you know, evolve in a, in a changing mm -hmm. landscape. It's a great asset for the company. Now, thinking about fleet in relation to competition, I mean, one observation there is, uh, I mean, you, you are the second biggest low-cost airline in Europe, but you, vis-a-vis uh, Ryanair, Ryanair is growing more quickly. They've already got slightly larger aircraft, with the, the Boeing aircraft they use and will become slightly larger again as they start to get 737 maxes, but they're growing more quickly. So there's a bit of a divergence in the growth path as we see it today between you and Ryanair. Is that something which occupies any management time or do you just, do you just see that as a difference? That's simply a difference in your strategies and business development. I think that, you know, I've I never been a big fan of irresponsible growth. We always want to make sure that our growth matches the demand mm -hmm. that we have. And I think we have announced earlier in the year that we 
expect the year this we're in that uh, that will grow about 10%, which is quite an ambitious number. But I'm I'm not losing sleep over competitive growth numbers. We want to make sure that we grow in a way that it matches the demand we have and that we deliver for our customers and ultimately also for the shareholders. And looking at those competitors, I mean, Rhino is one, but you have Wiz, more so than in the past, Jet2 in the UK, as they've moved south and upgraded their size of fleet and new equipment. How do you look at the competitive landscape in general? I'm thinking maybe particularly an airline like Wiz, which has now got a base in Luton for the first time, you know, yeah. really was EasyJet's backyard. Yeah. Is that, again, just part of a dynamic that you manage, or do you have to react and do things differently when that kind of thing happens? I, th I think that you know, EasyJet has proven that we can compete successfully against whatever model that is out there, whatever you call them, whether that is so-called ultra-loft carriers or, or uh, low-cost carriers or legacy carriers. We've shown that we can compete and outperform in any environment that we have. One thing that is important to know about EasyJet, which is a, an amazing asset, and that's actually the slots that we have. They are physical and that's been built up over the years, yeah. you know, since the company started. So we have these positions at the primary airports that means tremendous a lot for ourselves. So that means that it's difficult to come in to certain parts of the airports where we operate. But even if that is the case, like I said, we're not losing sleep over any competitors okay. out there. For we have been winning all the value for money awards for European short haul. Our brand recognition is fantastic in markets we're number one or or a number two in terms of you know most recognized airline. We have a number of things we have still to go at which can give us even more opportunities. So I'm not losing any sleep on competitors. Why do you think more airlines have not been, in this current context of like open skies in Europe, why have they not been more successful at developing a, a pan-European product? I mean, it's the low-cost guys who've done it. You've done it, Ryanair and Wiz have done it. But when we've seen other people, particularly the traditional airlines, try to do it a little bit, generally, we just haven't managed to make it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of the fact that you need to be able to offering something that it and it's really relevant for the customers that you mm -hmm. have and at the same time avoid complexity. And that's the trade-off you always got to do. But this is where data and technology will allow you to actually reduce the complexity that you have by being able at the same time to tailor yourself around individual needs. Yeah. And, and that's really important. But it's also... You know, you, you got to be crystal clear on what your value proposition is. This yeah. is not different from any other industry and any other company who wants to be successful. You know, you got to know what you're offering, what your core is. You got to know that you have a position that nobody else can, at least in the short yeah. term, take because you are building on the strengths and you continue to build upon the strengths and that will take you forward. A position needs to be there that you can also envisage that this will be successful also in the future. I've always been a massive believer of the things that what you're setting up today is something that also should make you successful tomorrow. And all the good years that the industry has and, and, and when you're doing good financially, those years are only there to prepare you for, for the, for the down, downturn. Yeah. And when that downturns come, you have the ability to elevate and take further share in the market and come to a strength position. Because when, when life is good and when demand is good, you know, it, it covers up a lot of weaknesses in inefficient models. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's an, throughout the years, there have been a number of airlines whose 
really best before date has has gone by, yeah. but they are kept alive for one reason or the other, and I that mean, doesn't happen in downturns. You know, the European market is nowhere near as consolidated as the USA. No. You know, you've got the big five, which obviously you are one of the key, taking what round about 50% of available capacity compared to maybe 90% or close to in the USA. Are you of the school that you think there are going to be more failures along the way and maybe more acquisition? Not only the Alitalian thing we talked about, but other opportunities. Yeah, no, I mean it's right, but consolidation isn't mm. just about last year or this year you know the european you know aviation market has been in consolidation for quite some time yeah in 2005 i think there were 25 airlines who who made up about 80 percent 82 83 percent of the market that number in 2016 was uh, 11 airlines who made up that 80 percent and now i think i mean if i take the top four we don't even come up to 50 percent that is in there i don't think it will ever get to the to the u.s market right. because there are still you know uh, countries who and and some governments who still think it's important to own uh, airlines so that's different from from the u.s market but it's clear that this is something that evolves and both organically evolves because businesses will just simply go out of business but also on the subject of m a that those transactions will also continue to take place and we just we just had the news of iceland there is going to buy Wow, the uh, long-haul, low-cost operator. Uh, did that take you by surprise? Any, any thoughts on that one? No, I mean, yes. I mean, you can never determine timing and some things yeah. and well, they will happen and uh, who will uh, do what. But uh, I don't think it's that, that surprising. So I, I think that they probably thought it was better to get one functional and, uh, you know, uh, and profitable airline instead of killing each other and competing each other to death. And long-haul, low-cost. I mean, you, you said clearly EasyJet is not looking to go into a long-haul, low-cost space. It seems to me it's flavor of the month as an airline model. People talk about it. In the past, they used to talk about, have you been on a low-cost airline somewhere in Europe? Now people talk about, have you been on a, a long-haul, low-cost airline like Norwegian to go somewhere long-haul? How do you see that playing out? If you're not going to be an active player in it, Norwegian, it's always already apparent, could be a takeover target for IAG. You don't want to do that yourself. Do you think that segment is going to grow much bigger or are there more innate challenges than there are for short or low cost? You know, it, it was uh, the analysis from our perspective is, is quite, you know, simple why we don't want to go into the long haul market ourselves is that by being still, you know, the second largest airline in, in Europe and doing what we do, we still only have 10% market share. And we still see so many opportunities within the existing model that we can grow successfully on. And we have you know, still a lot of airports that it's not served to the way that we think we can make an impact on. So I mean, if, if I had 30, 35% market share, then perhaps that would be different. Right. We would need to look at different hold times. But also, the, uh, from our perspective, the, the, the model looks slightly different. But primarily, the reason is that you know, we are going to focus on our strengths and on our core and what we do well. And we still have much more to go at. And on that, on that point, uh, you, know, you, you mentioned about uh, making sure that you're relevant to customers and that that will take you forward. You, you uh, since you've been at the helm, have stated some key priorities for the company, one of which is even greater focus on business travelers. Now, I think EasyJet, it seems to me, has always been focused on business travelers, but you're going to do so even more. How, how will you do that? What ways do you think you can attract more business customers, who I assume you hope will pay a little bit more as well on average. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, we already have 13 million uh, business passengers today. But uh, I think that, um, and it's not different from what we've been doing in holidays and also 
when we talk about the opportunities we see within loyalty, because those mm -hmm. three things were initiatives that, that I talked about in, in our half-year results in May, and we'll do yeah. an update on that on, on the 20th November. It is that this, these are things that we have been in before, and we are in it now, and we're doing it you know, quite successfully, but we can see that we have much more opportunity to go for. If you take a business passenger today, we know, for instance, that there, there is um, you know, elements of that are our customers who look into, for instance, buy um, you know, a bundle where you can get into the airport as late as possible to get fast track through the, the security, as an example, perhaps um, guaranteeing two hand luggage uh, on board, um, perhaps having the seat next to you as part of a bundle. Uh, we wouldn't introduce any class or anything like that, but I think that those are examples where you need to do more from a product development for the customers to make sure that you can offer something that we know is in demand. Um, and uh, you know, the, the, you're right to say that you know, the, the, there's a lot of other airlines there who are getting a lot of premium on the revenue from this segment, and uh, today that uh, uh, it, it's more about the fact that we are not fulfilling the needs that we see that some of these customers have. So it's not primarily a thing that we say, well, okay, now we're gonna have something in here, a clause to drive up you know, the revenue. It's actually to say that we know our customer wants to have something that is more developed around their needs, and that's what we're gonna focus on. And of course, like anything, if you do that right, you know, customer will also want to pay for it. And, and that surely is exactly where your opportunity is, that you can do something where a customer will think, I'm prepared to pay X amount more yes. for that, not that you say, I'm going to fleece you for an enormously high fare, yeah. then you can have yeah. it, because I think those days are, are gone, work. or numbered for the airlines who are still trying yeah. to do it. Yeah, no, and, and you can't take that approach. Hence the reason, like in anything, you, you um, had a discussion with somebody a little bit earlier on about you know, the cost of fuel and how that go goes up. You know, you can never assume that people are just going to pay mm -hmm. an extra whatever that is because your cost has gone up. You've got to make sure that you mitigate whatever cost actions that is in there. And if you're doing it well, customer will be willing to pay a small premium of what, you, what it costs you to produce the product and service that mm -hmm. they want. And, and that's, that's where the trick lies. And again, I think y you reckon you can do these things without either complicating what you do or adding a lot of cost yourself that we, would not come we, back in a ticket. With the investments in data and technology, we're actually going to reduce complexity. Right. You know, because today we are working in this segment, but right. we, we are not as good as we should be when it comes to certain administrational areas on how we deal with, with companies. Uh, uh, you know, so in, in many ways, you know, data and technology will allow us to actually simplify a lot of these things and produce something for the customer that is more in need of what they want for lower cost than ourselves. And therein lies what EasyDebt is all about, to really create that additional value. And loyalty is part of that. I mean, I, I just remember again, uh, some years ago, reading one of Air France's investor reports quite some years ago, when they proudly said about loyalty, we employ 200 people in our loyalty department. And I yeah. remember thinking, well, that's probably bigger than the head office of some low-cost airlines. Yeah. I guess you're not going to take that approach in delivering a loyalty yeah. uh, proposition. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true. I mean, when, when we uh, announced that we were going to focus on loyalty, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was you know, a couple of eyebrows that were raised to say, well, you know, is, does your type of company do that? Well, first of all, we do have a loyalty program called Flight Club, but it's just that we're not, we're not, we haven't invested in it. We, we're not getting you know, the most out of the way we can reward and recognize our, our customers. Of course, customers should be 
rewarded for what they do. Of course, they should be recognized for what you do. Yeah. But I think it also is, you, you've been in the industry a long time. You also know that um, you know, there's been times in the 80s and 90s when loyalty programs almost killed airlines. Yeah. Because of the cost that ended up on the on the balance, balance sheet, that's a lie. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you can do it so different today with mm -hmm. um, really solutions that are much more contemporary. And I do think that you know, coming back to the data, and it's it's really about having that opportunity to recognize the customers. Imagine just being on a plane, having traveled with us. You know that you know you're you're all spying. You know that. Uh, meal or you're doing that, as sometimes as we can go out and by using data and recognize people on board to say, well, today, John, this is on us. We'll give you that glass of wine because we know always, all, that you always take that on the Friday uh, flight here. And that's what you can do with data. And those things are things you can also play within the loyalty program, that recognition that means so much for the customers. And that's what we want to do. Fantastic. And the, the bit I haven't touched on yet, holidays. I mean, uh, you're going to develop EasyJet much more in terms of a holiday offer. Is that the uh, inner tour operator in you coming out from your two No, experience? I mean, it, listen, this is not about uh, turning EasyJet into a tour operator, not at all. Uh, and, um, but it's really the fact that we have today, you know, millions and millions of people who sits on our airplane and fly with us today who doesn't book accommodation with us. You know, we do have EasyJet holidays the way it is. But it's not a, um, a proposition that has really fulfilled you know, the, the potential of what we've been doing. You know, we, we have one of Europe's most visited travel websites. We have 350 million unique visitors that comes to our site. And you're just speaking here and meeting you know, hoteliers as well. Of course, that represents a great opportunity for them to come and work with somebody who doesn't compare to some of the OTAs out there. We don't have a million hoteliers here. Mm -hmm. We need to have a you know, relatively few partnership with, with strong hotels to make sure that we can also have a direct relationship with them and then be able to offer them. Uh, what I must say that no, no, really no other airline can do. If you're looking at our network, the network that we have to the leisure destinations, to the city destinations, the frequencies that we have, mm -hmm. the ability now to, in the future with us, be able to go to fantastic value hotels on whatever day you want, not only on the day you want, but also at various departures throughout the day, I think brings the best of both the flexibility and also the product that we want to bring out for the customers. Yeah, again, I guess from a tour operator point of view, in the last 20 years, they can't sell to everybody a a Palmer at 2 a.m. because you book something else. What, what yes, I mean, the, 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 the you know, traditional tour, but tour operator has evolved also. Yeah, I, well I think TUI in uh, particular. Yeah, and, and there's a number of companies out there, and also there's quite a lot of, you know, travel agencies that are yeah. kind of tour operators in, in, you know, in their own right. But, you know, the, the model from a traditional tour operators, in order for them to get efficiency in the, in the network, they, they want to do seven and 40 nights. And then mm -hmm. they can break that up in perhaps doing you know, a three-night proposal or a four-night proposal and perhaps a 10-day proposal. I, you know, we fly you know, 10 times a day to certain destinations. So that's where the opportunity also lies. But listen, this is important, particularly when we're here at the world travel market. You know, EasyJet is always at its core going to be an airline. That's what we are focusing on. Uh, but we are going to make a, a um, you know, put in dedicated resources into holidays, as we will also do with business passengers and, and also the loyalty program. Because the loyalty program yeah. is also something that 
that is uh, something that will enable us to also get more business passengers. Mm -hmm. And you could see yourself that if you're making earning points as an example on your business that you're going to be able to use them uh, perhaps on your holidays or on ancillaries in, in a way that the systems today can do without overcomplicating things. So that's the opportunity. Yeah, and I'm conscious time is moving against us, but uh, let's just go for a quick couple of questions from the audience. Have we got microphones uh, available? Just for a gentleman I know who he is. Have we got a microphone, please? If you could just introduce yourself anyway and give a punchy question. Then there's a guy with Hi, holding um, his arm. Yeah, Malcolm Ginsburg, Business Travel News. I ran a story today about an uh, electric uh, aircraft. I just wondered how uh, serious you were about this. And I think before your time, there was another advanced concept that you got together with uh, Airbus about. So are we in for a, a plug-in aircraft or, or what's the future, please? Thank you, Mark. I mean, it's an interesting point. We, we had uh, last week, or I think it was last week, we were in, in Holland and, uh, and talked about that we can now see that in, within a foreseeable site that there will be hybrid and electric um, um, aircraft coming in here. It's very interesting because I shared a roundtable with professors of, um, and scientists who, who, who um, are focusing particularly on battery capacities and on propulsion as well. And on that roundtable with people who are doing this for the living, academics at the highest level, nobody is doubting this. And that's the difference from what this used to be some years ago where you know you got people and still have skeptics to say well actually we never believe that this will take place and out of the people who does this at the highest level there's nobody doubting that this will take place and then it matters about timing and we've said that we have set ourselves it's quite an ambitious goal that we hope to see something uh, to by 2030 and uh, on one hand you can say well that is very too soon or you can say, well, that's a long time away. There's no doubt that I believe that this will take place. If this is 2030 or 2032 or 2033, I think it's important, like in anything you do, that you set yourself targets. And you want to be, uh, we want to be ambitious about this. Ambitious about this. I think we have another question just here. Yeah. Josh Thero, Financial Times. The uh, CEO of Lufthansa told the Financial Times last week that the European aviation industry had reached the limit of its rates of growth. It couldn't grow any faster. There wasn't the capacity, the infrastructure in the aerospace section, in the uh, airspace section, in the airline section. Do you agree with him that the uh, aviation Europe can't grow any faster than it is at the moment and is actually going to have to slow down? Thank you, Josh. First of all, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite welcoming uh, other CEOs who are now downsizing their growth uh, ambitions as well. Look, first and foremost, you know, our, our, uh, we want to make sure that we can satisfy the demand we see for our products and services. That, that's really number one. That's an obligation that we have. If we have a product and a service, and we do, that is in demand. You need to make sure that you are matching the demand to your supply. Number two, this is also about making sure that we need to put pressure, we need to put things on, uh, need to put this on the agenda for the politicians to actually solve a lot of things, these things that are resolvable, like the single European sky. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's correct that actually we should stop growth because you have part of the value chain that doesn't function to the level where we should expect. So I'd much rather see that there's a discussion about that. Yeah, and we're nearly out of time, so I'm just going to ask you one last question. An important aspect of what you're doing in EasyJet is looking at the issue of gender balance, and particularly when it comes to your pilot force. Now, we hear more and more about airlines having pilot shortage or losing pilots. 
But the whole issue of women and their representation of the pilot force, you, you've got quite a lot of work going on there. How, how, is it, how is it going so far? And what is it exactly that you're doing to encourage more women to, to take uh, yeah. the pilot seat? I mean, on this with pilot shortage, I don't think that there is a pilot shortage. I think that there might be companies who struggle to get people to come and work for them. Right. But that is not the case with EasyJet. We have no issues at all with getting pilots to come and work I think Willie Walsh does the same thing. Him, yeah, I mean, you, you look, look, as much as we also set ourselves the target to be the number one when it comes to the choice for the customers, you also need to make sure that, you know, you are becoming a preferred employer. You know, mm -hmm. we, are, we are fighting for top talents, and that's what uh, we want to become known for, and pilots are no exception uh, on that. The female pilots is really about th the reason <laughs> why we're doing that, and this was done before my time, and I fully embraced that. One, it's just the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the occupation of a pilot is one of the few occupations I can still think of that hasn't changed. If you go back 40, 50 years, you would have seen similar things among lawyers and, and, and doctors. That has now moved on, and there should be no difference whatsoever that you should have a, a balance also in your pilot community. So that's number one. It's the right thing to do because you want every part of your company to reflect your customer base. And number two, it commercially makes sense. If you were getting into a situation that there were shortage of pilots, to just you know, be able to, to take resources of half the population is just not good enough. And we're doing more than I think than any other commercial airline in the world. And, and uh, you know, we have ourselves an ambitious target of 20% of the new intake by 2020. Uh, and we're about to achieve 15% this year. Um, so that's just one step. But then we got up the, 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 the targets as well. Yeah, and we're going to make sure we have a good on-time performance uh, yes. of this interview. We're, we're, the clock has beaten us, so it's been fascinating to hear about your first year at the Hellman EasyJet. Lots of things going on. We look forward to hearing more about the uh, developments in your results in a couple of weeks' time. So, Johan Lundgren, CEO of EasyJet, thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you, Johan. Thank you. Thanks, Johan Lundgren, for that insight into EasyJet's current performance and future plans. Coming up on the WTM Insights podcast, we have more recordings from key sessions from WTM London and also exclusive interviews and conversations with other key industry performers. So do subscribe via whatever podcast app you're using or look out for our new episodes on the website.